0: Welcome to episode 232, Friars in the Farm. I'm Donovan, and with me is Roy. Hey, what's going on? Did something happen today? Did the ice finally break? Uh is is there something a thaw? finally happened? Did the I, pilot... you know
1: I wonder I wonder if dominoes are gonna start falling?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you, you tweeted that like two two weeks ago. I think the pilot light has been lit for the Padres off-season hot stove. But I mean, we've already had the couple of signings of the Japanese and the Korean pitchers, but um today's signing is uh is certainly um adding to what we need. We need a bullpen, and but everyone keeps going, but yeah, what about a left fielder? How about a center fielder? You gotta start somewhere, and I think a bullpen is a great place to really shore up, particularly if um, you know, if the rotation isn't so set right now. So there's a lot of question marks in the rotation, but you know, we signed another guy for the bullpen. But tell us real quick what we got going on and we'll get into that. All right. So first
1: off, the Padres, they do something. They sign a player. So we'll riff about that. Uh, And then the 2024 coaching staffs were announced. So lots of familiar names up and down the system, getting some promotions. Um, And then we have a nice long conversation with Ben Badler from Baseball America. Specializes in international uh, free agent amateur signings. Um, And we kind of we talked a little bit about the guys that the Padres just signed in this new series that opened up on January 15th. But we spent a lot of time really talking about the nuts and bolts of how the international amateur free agent game works, particularly in the Dominican Republic and, and other Latin countries. Which is a topic that's kind of, you know, you and I we we've spent a lot of yeah. time thinking and caring about this stuff. These kids come from where do they go? What happens if they don't pan out? It, who's who's moving these kids around? It's it just who who benefits from all of it? So a lot of good questions were asked, and Ben gave us some really good insight.
0: Yeah, I really liked what he had to say. And uh well, I liked what he told us, which was really kind of horrifying, but it it, it is what it is. And you guys are gonna find it really interesting because he does, he delves deep into where these kids come from, where they get the players, what happens in the in 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 these um training academies and kind of how the nuts and bolts of how that works and what happens if they don't, you know, if they don't make it. And uh, it, it's eye opening. It's horrifying, and um, certainly not an expose, but it's certainly um, educational. If you guys want to stay around for that, I I loved it, and I learned a lot. But um, first, before, before we get going on, please go on Apple and Spotify, iHeartRadio. Give us a subscribe on anywhere you get the podcast. We're on YouTube now. You can follow us on X, Threads, Instagram. Go to YouTube, search Friars in the Farm. Watch the videos. We have videos coming up from every one of our interviews. We have the interviews in the future that I'll be doing at Lake Elsinore. Any other uh, game day video I take, or we'll post from games that I record. Uh, we'll have that on there. Uh, please hit and subscribe. Hit like. Hit like and subscribe. But um, let's talk about what happened today uh, in the world of the Padres. Yeah, the Padres
1: signed left-handed reliever Wandy Peralta to a four-year, sixteen and a half million-dollar deal and it, it's it's an interesting it, it's a, another brother special where yeah. it's okay four years 16 and a half million dollars but he has an opt-out after every single year so really it puts all the control in the player's hands if if something happens if he's hurt if he struggles to perform he can still check that box and get paid yep. every year uh but hopefully that's not that's not how it turns out because the guy is actually pretty dang good uh so mlb.com said Uh, quote the 32 year old Peralta is coming off the best season and I'll put that in air quotes of his eight-year career having posted a 2.83 ERA and 1.4 war with 51 strikeouts across 54 innings for the Yankees uh and I thought that was an interesting quote because best season you look at some of the numbers and he was not good at certain things um his th- they continue. His 13.2% walk rate was troubling, and he also plunked a career-high six batters in 2023. All of that led to an ugly 5.05 FIP. The other thing that they left out here is that he got the homer bug. All of a sudden, the Man. ball fly balls were leaving the park for him. Um, he was giving up home runs at a rate that he hasn't for in his, in his career. So, but if Peralta can harness his control, Padres should be getting a reliable lefty arm who can get key outs in a division loaded with fearsome left-handed hitters. Lefties batted just 138, 271, 213 against Peralta last season. Um, so I I love lefties in the bullpen. That's, that's a great weapon to have. I love that he's a guy with experience, not necessarily as a closer, but in, in various different roles up and down the bullpen ladder, um, And and, I mean, the guy's still averaging 96 miles an hour on his fastball last year. So at what 33, 32, he's not losing any any steam. Um, So I'm I'm good with that. I'm just curious about why did the rates, why did the walk rate spike, and why did the home run rate spike, and is that something that they have a a a fix for, a plan for?
0: Well, and and the plan is you want to give him to Ruben Niebla, and we always think that the pitching coach, uh, Ruben Niebla will will you know work his magic and and fix the walk rates and fix the home run rates there are some band boxes in the american league east uh, particularly in yankee stadium that thing is uh, you hit the ball in the air it goes out um and there are some powerhouse teams in that division as well but now with the balanced schedule i you know it would be be interesting to see where he gave up all those home runs i like the deal i i you know it, it's not bad if, if you know if he opts out after one year fantastic if he stays with us and he's you know mediocre to to, to average, um, you know, we'll use them when we need them and, and try to find a way to get the most out of them. And again, it's just about $4 million of annual average value. And I don't think it goes too much against against the the, the payroll. So I don't think it's going to be, it's not going to weigh too heavy on <clears throat> the remaining payroll that we have. And, you know, you, you can put them in the bullpen somewhere and, and you know, and just kind of stuff them in there when use them when we need them. With right, Tom but yeah. You say it's not that
1: that much money, but they're they're running up against some budget limit. We don't know what that number is, uh, but I see people out there like trying to do the math, and they right. think that he's <laughs> that the Padres have about twenty million dollars left to spend. Um, right now, they're I mean, your starting center fielder is Jose Zocar, and your uh, starting left fielder is
0: yeah.
1: I don't know Tucupita Marcano, right. M- Matthew Batten, right. uh, Tiersor Nelas. You know. <laughs> They, they've got some some glaring needs and i'm of the opinion that they still don't have enough starting pitching yeah. so i think they've got work to do and oh, this has me wondering if there's a trade in the works um yeah. if they're trying to move one of the other relievers um you know, and and that that starts to strike near and dear to my heart because you look at that bullpen and the guys that are controllable that are doing really well so far. They're the people that we've gotten to talk to and gotten to know, and we have become yeah. fans of, and the Padres fans have become fans of these guys. So it always stings seeing that. It's like you want young controllable talent. You've got young controllable talent. Keep them.
0: Yeah. yeah, and and how many times? So for all you to, know... it, go ahead. Yeah, you, you go. Well, just. It, it, we want to keep that core of the. We want to keep the core prospects in in house. You know, if there is, if there's a way we can maybe, <clears throat> you know, package a, a lower case, maybe even one of the top prospects and, and a major league player from the roster to to get an outfielder, to get another starting pitcher. Um, I would go for that. I, preller will prel, and that's the thing about you see in this deal, although it's very player friendly, he will do things that we don't even think we imagine that he'll do. And, and believe me, it's not panic button yet, but watch Preller work his magic. And it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be a stellar outfield because we got guys coming up and it could be a transition year. Well, it seems to be a transition year with us, but still the rest of that roster is powerhouse. And we are looking to go, you know, the Padres are looking to go to you know, at least make it to the playoffs. You know, at least right now, the hope is to make a wild card spot and we in Impreller, we trust. We just have to trust Preller. It just doesn't look so trusting right now. I,
1: I found over the last couple of years, my trust has started to chip away. I, I used to be hardcore on that bandwagon, and yeah. now I'm just like last year. There wasn't enough depth. the 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 lineup didn't have enough length, if you want to put it that way. You, once you got past, you know, four or five in the in the lineup, you had to really hard time and then there's so many situations where you got runner on second and here comes austin nola and he's either gonna you know ground out to second base or strike out like come on there needs to be a little bit more length to the lineup and now okay we're talking about filling up the back end of the lineup with scrubs because oh those front five guys are gonna carry carry the team didn't work last year
0: yeah. No, it didn't. And then, even if you do bring up a Grand Polly or Jacob Marcy, you're going to need to give those times plenty of time to adjust to major league pitching. It doesn't matter how good you are. Not every one of those kids, you know, not everyone can be a Fernando Tatis Junior. Um, right, so it's and, and I don't an want to be forced
1: into that in right. that position. Right, like okay, uh, Jacob Marcy, he, he had a good first two weeks in Double A, and now Jose Azokar, he's hitting 120. We need some help. Okay, let's let's bring him up.
0: Hey, Like no, that's not how it's supposed to work. Yeah, yeah, I I wouldn't mind seeing those guys get a full half, full if not at the very least half season down in the minors, uh, maybe even some time in the Pacific Coast League to to get acclimated to a higher level pitching. And once again, they only played maybe a month in Double A, and sure, they both you know Marcy and Pauly had great Arizona Fall Leagues, but a lot of the pitching in the Arizona Fall League guys. It, it's it's guys that didn't get innings during the season. Look at the guys that the Padres sent, um, you know, guys that came up late, you know, the uh, men, um, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, Pilati, uh, God, I can't pronounce his last name. Pineda. Pineda, they did, Pineda. They, did, they did really well, but those guys did not get a lot of innings during the season. So, and, and and a lot of the other organizations sent those guys that, you know, that needed to get some time on the mound. So they weren't seeing absolute top-tier pitching. And so you had the they had their Arizona fall league that they had, you know, and that's that's fantastic. And there's something to be said for that. But let's see what happens when those guys get the full season, some months under their belt in double A. And uh then we can see where we're at with maybe moving those guys up, certainly.
1: Yep. All right. Well, speaking of double A and where those guys are gonna be learning, mm-hmm. um the Padres announced their coaching and training staff for 2024. So Donovan, I understand you've, uh, you've prepared some, some stuff here. You've got some things spread out to take us on a little
0: tour through the affiliates. Well, yeah. Well, let's start here. You know, d- down d- the Dominican summer league is, is, you know, uh, the information coming out of the Dominican summer league is few and far between, but the manager there's two managers there, I believe they might have two teams there. I don't know if there's a red or a, you know, a Brown or a yellow or, or how that's going, but there are two managers, Braylon Perez and Diego Sedanio, two pitching coaches, two hitting coaches. Um, so there's got to be two teams down there. But it's interesting if you go to Lake Elsinore, the manager Lucas Ray, Robbie Price, and hitting coach Eric Del Prado all spent last year in the ACL. So you see the Padres taking guys from, from the complex, bringing them up to a ball. So they're familiar with the players that they have, they're familiar with the players that are coming. And then you get into you know double A and Luke Mont stays, but pitching coach Jeff Andrews comes in. Unair Garcia is the hitting coach, uh, with the bench coach being Miguel de Castillo. Um, the athletic trainers and the strength coach, those guys are are are, <clears throat> with Garrett Kelly and Presley Greer, going into high A. You have Mike Daly, who was 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 rumored to be the manager for El Paso. And I do believe he did keep his last, his title as the assistant director of player development. So it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of, how he wears both those hats, or if they're just going to get someone else to, uh, to take that position. But you got Mike Daly and then Tom Eshelman, who was in Lake Elsinore last year, moved up. He, you know, we talked to the guys earlier this offseason and mentioned how much they helped him, in their development. So moving him up to high A is another way to keep kind of the, the momentum of the coaching kind of consistent. Uh, Jed Morris, who was also in Lake Elsinore last year that we talked to is the hitting coach. And then bench coach, Ginaldo Pozo. Um, I think he might've been, I, I think he was the, one of the base coaches for Lake Elsinore last year. I cannot remember. No, I think moving, you're right. Yeah. <clears throat> ah, but moving on to El Paso, Zamo, Zamo got the job in El Paso and, and stoked for Pete Zamora, a life, life, a life baseball lifer really, uh, is the manager there. I think that's a really good opportunity. He's, he was an incredible pitching coach and the Padres must thank a lot of him, uh, to give him that, to give him that post. So they got the pitching coach, Scott Mitchell, uh, the assistant hitting, uh, pitching coach, Jimmy Jones, who's been in the organization for a few years. And in front of the podcast, Raryl Padron is the hitting coach with Greg Starbuck being the Benz coach. Um, yeah, Jones, Padron, and Mitchell all returned
1: uh, from yeah. being in El Paso last year.
0: Yeah. And so that consistency of having those guys there, you know, knocking on the door of maybe a major league major league job in the future. We saw it this year with the major league roster, uh, with the major league coaching roster, where several of the guys that were in the organization got positions with the big league club.
1: Right, right. You've got uh, you got Pat O'Sullivan, um, Morgan Burkhart's been around there for a little bit, but Mike yeah. McCoy uh, is new. And we talked to him back when he was managing the the Storm, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, need to see these guys move up through the the organization, and I I like the development from within. I yeah. like that for these guys that hopefully are going to be making a contribution this year. That as they come up, they've got familiar faces. Uh, moving along with them Um, that that's nice helping the continuity for the you know as your system grows up your coaches are moving up with them
0: absolutely and that continuity is what kind of helps with the development they're they're familiar with the players they're familiar with and there's a trust there with with the coaches and the players um that can just accelerate development for sure absolutely but that's about it hey let's get on to our our really in-depth conversation with ben babler for baseball america Hey, we're grateful to be joined by Ben Badler from Baseball America, who specializes in the international side of the sport. Ben, welcome back to Friars on the Farm. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate you uh, the invite.
0: Well, you know, I, it's funny. I'm like, this is his first time. Ben, we've never talked to him before. Roy's like, yeah, we did. Damn, I, I'm sorry that we haven't. You know, we haven't talked to you in over almost two years. Yeah,
2: well, two the last anything in the last few years feels like ten years ago. So.
0: <laughs> for sure for sure <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you find your niche in the international uh prospect market
2: yeah i started at baseball america in 2007 and pretty much the next year you know i kind of did a little bit of everything and kind of have done some of everything minor league prospects uh helping with our draft coverage high school up-and-coming prospects uh in the states now has become a big thing for us but um, yeah, right in yeah, in 2008 started covering international signings at that time. You know, the, the players could sign on July 2nd and nobody was really covering, uh, international signings at that time. I mean, like we would hear about before, um, you know, Hey, this player signed for a big bonus, uh, you know, eventually like the news would, would make its way to us. We'd call somebody, try to figure out what was going on with the player, um, but I was like, you know what, we, we cover the draft at Baseball America, like complete uh, lunatics in terms of the depth and <laughs> <laughs> uh, volume of players that we cover. But nobody really does this for international players. So I was like, well, how does, why not? Or how, how does this process even really work? There wasn't a ton of information on and out there. So uh, just sort of started building it up uh, year over over year um and it it really grew to where you know now it's it's you know certainly the process now is different and and this you know the start of the signing period is january 15th so that's different too um but yeah it really just kind of grew and and grew from there from just uh calling around making a lot of calls to people uh, on the ground in the dominican republic venezuela uh, all throughout latin america and you know now you know as as Got more experience and Baseball America grew and, and did better. Started traveling down there uh, a lot more frequently. So, um, yeah, everything has just kind of grown and, and built up from, from there.
1: How, how much of your time do you spend actually on the road, like trying to get eyes on people? And is it just you or are there other people from BA that are doing this too?
2: Uh, From the, on the international side, it's, it's just me, Um, you know, unless there's maybe some event that happens to be in the States where somebody else on staff sees them. But, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's my favorite, Dominican Republic is my favorite country in the world to go to uh, for, it's just my favorite place in the world to go to for baseball. Uh, It's just a true baseball country. Like here in the States, uh, you know, kids grow up wanting to play basketball, football, soccer esports, whatever like all, all different things but down there everybody uh wants you know every boy growing up wants to be a baseball player As so you just drive down the road every day you see kids playing like sandlot baseball on on the side um in, in some park and there's just always always something to see it's just uh, uh it's just a really cool experience to be able to to go down there and, and see all these players
1: yeah dude so I- how much how much how much of your year do you think you're down there
2: uh, it varies by year i mean like in the uh, pandemic none right. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. shortly after that i, I had a uh, i became a father and the, the travel <laughs> became a little bit more challenging so that threw a, a wrench into it but um and and now i'm doing a lot more on the domestic side uh, as well with our, our amateur coverage so the, the summer gets super busy but yeah i like to try to make a few trips down there uh every year um you know back in like 2019 i was going even more than that but um you know going there and then sometimes they'll they'll have showcases here some of the bigger events in in the states for some uh international players it kind of slowed down for a few years with the pandemic and issues with players getting visas because of the you know embassies shutting down and things like that but uh, but I think it's going to start picking back up some more pretty soon.
0: Absolutely. You know, it's funny. You're you talking about baseball in every corner. Like I couldn't, like we want to go to the, my wife and I want to go to the Dominican Republic, but I don't think I can. Cause like just, Oh honey, there's a, there's a Sandlock game. I can't, I know we'll go to lunch later. Like I want to watch this game. I just want to, I just, I caught myself a few years on some random public access channel on, on the cable. And I watched an hour and a half of like some bizarre little league I mean, it was Access Channel Little League game, and I watched about about five or six innings of the game, just going like, "Yeah, here, God dang, that's Wow, That's a good catch." Um, I, the obsession I have with baseball is is almost um, it, it's pretty high level. So, yeah, we'll maybe like bordering on unhealthy. <laughs>
2: uh, I'll I'll join you in your unhealthy obsession uh, as well. So, no no <laughs> no problem there.
1: All right, so the international amateur signings is your is your bread and butter and obviously leo devries devries i I, devries i gotta learn how to pronounce it right devries devries it's devries i heard him say it so you've seen him up close uh can you give us your thoughts on his skill set and what you think what you think of the guy
2: yeah he's he's super impressive um especially as a as a hitter, you could tell just the way he, just seeing him live, just seeing him in a tournament down there, uh, just the way he tracks pitches was pretty advanced. Uh, just the the maturity that he had at the plate stood out for his age. Uh, switch hitter, really good swing from both sides. It's uh, a lot of bat speed. It's a compact swing. It's uh, an adjustable swing, too. It's not like just geared to hit one type of pitch or, or a pitch in one part of the zone, uh, there's a lot of uh, ability to maneuver the barrel, cover the play pretty well. And then, like mentioned, the bat speed and the power uh, is there too. And I, I think there's going to be even more power because of the bat speed and how much stronger he has a, a chance to get. So um, saw him hit a home run uh, in a game, which was funny because he told me the day before right. uh, he was going to hit a home run uh, that day which I thought, all right, you know, cocky, 16-year-old kid. He's not the first kid who's
0: uh, ever
2: <laughs> so. oh, yeah, I'm going to hit a home run this game for you. And It's like, all right, but he actually went out and did it his second at bat. Um, so, and then he's pointing at me as he's yeah. rounding third base, being like, yeah, I told you I was going to hit it out. So um, I saw the
0: video on Twitter. I'm like, yeah. Yeah,
2: I was, like, taking the video. I was like, no way, as he's, like, <laughs> pointing at me and, like, shouting at me. And I was like, oh, God. So, uh, a lot of – Plays with a lot of confidence, but definitely can back it up too. Yeah. And then on the defensive side, I'm sure the Padres will start him out at shortstop. And I think he has a chance to stay there. I mean, he's still 17 years old. Uh, I don't think he's a lock to stay at the position necessarily, but get him into pro ball professional instruction, uh, get him working on his his technique, all that stuff. I, I think there is a chance he stays at shortstop, but the good thing with him is if not, uh, he'll he'll play somewhere in the infield if it's second base. If it's third base, I think he has the offensive upside to project really well at any of those spots. And if he does end up staying at shortstop, uh, then you have a, a chance for a, a really, really special player.
1: So as a switch hitter, um, does his swing look similar from both sides? Does he kind of project similarly from both sides? I know some guys, like, they'll have one weakness, you know, they'll hit from power coincide, more on the side over here, less power they'll the hit more average, you know.
2: Uh, I don't know if one side is necessarily more advanced with him the only thing is he, he I mean he does take most of his at bats left-handed because most of the pitchers he's facing are right-handed for for whatever reason I don't like have a sense of why but the like the pitching in the Dominican Republic seems to be like predominantly right-handed even more so than Uh, You know, just obviously, most people are are right-handed, but even more so there. So, uh, I think most uh, the the overwhelming majority of his bats uh, have been from the left side for that reason. But I I think he's a good uh, right-handed hitter too. Although, obviously, we'll get a much better sense of that uh, this year once he's facing uh, guys in pro ball and has some something of a track record to see.
0: Yeah, it's going to be real fun to watch him. Uh, They said, what, four to six weeks down in Dominican, probably have him up uh, for spring training stateside and probably won't go back. Um, Do you see a similar kind of trajectory with him and Ethan Salas? Maybe making, I mean, Preller is just kind of very aggressive. You know, certainly was certainly aggressive with Ethan Salas, but do you see him maybe even making his, his affiliate debut with this next season?
2: Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. He's, I mean, you can make the case just offensively. He might be as advanced as Ethan Salas was at that time. Um, he's not, well, I mean, what part of what makes Ethan special too, is that he's, uh, you know, catching the way he can. And you could, you can put him into a double a game and you're not going to think, Oh, well, what is that 17 year old kid doing behind right. the plate? He looks overmatched. You're like, Oh no, he, like the pitchers in Double A like throwing to him, they probably prefer throwing to him than a lot of other guys. So that's where he's uh, kind of separates himself into another tier. But yeah, I, I think he's he's advanced enough offensively where, you know, like you said, it sounds like he's, he'll definitely come over uh, to Arizona. Um, I think at worst he would play in the in the ACL, but the I, I ACL. think yeah, he has a a chance to play yeah to to, to play in Low A this year, just like Ethan Salas did, and uh, I mean. Who knows, like we said, with the way Preller <laughs> runs runs things, how high he might uh,
1: move this year. Well, so Salas was a bit of a unicorn. His He comes from mm. a family with a lot of pro baseball player experience. Uh, he was doing all the international showcase, traveling all. He lived in America for a long time. Yeah, um, grew up in Florida. And being fully bilingual, he's kind of a special case. And then makeup being off the chart. Yeah. Um, is, is there a comparison like how good is is David Devery's English for example
2: uh yeah I mean he's still just having the nascent stages of learning the language and, and like you said the cultural adjustment I mean it's it, I think it's easier now for players than it was like you know when I started writing about these guys Geez, like 15 something years ago. Um, but he, you know, even 10 years ago, it's it's gotten easier for players in, in part because of what teams do and part just because of, you know, technology. I mean, you have a you know, a translator in your own, you know, in your phone, uh, yeah, in your phone in your pocket everywhere you're going. So um, but it's you know, it's a lot easier for Ethan Salas, who was born and grew up in Florida, and then, you know, spent some time in Venezuela or the Dominican Republic to sign as an international free agent. So uh, cause he'd basically be what, like a high school senior, I think maybe this year or maybe yeah. even a junior, like an old, a younger or an older junior, if he, if he wanted to be. But um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that part will be more of an adjustment for him than it is for Salas. But uh, like, I don't see any, um, any issues with that. I mean, it, it might be something where maybe because of just the cultural transition um, and him being in his first season, yeah, maybe you want to leave him in Arizona. You just have more resources there. You're not taking yeah. bus rides. You're in one spot. All that, but uh, I don't know the like you said. The Padres don't strike me as a, uh, a bashful team when it comes to promoting their their top guys. They are not.
1: All right, so so they they put like 95 percent of their bonus pool toward Leo, but they also signed. I don't know. You got like 25, 30 names on the on your tracker on Baseball America, which you guys do an amazing job yeah. keeping track of all this stuff. Uh, let's touch on some of the other guys that the Padres have signed. Uh, so Humberto Cruz was reported as the top pitcher out of Mexico in his class, and you pointed him out as one of the guys to to look out for. What could you tell us about Humberto Cruz?
2: Yeah. Um, so he, I, I believe his situation is like he's still, I think it's agreed to sign at this point. I don't know if he's finalized the uh, contract yet at this point, but he is, you know, I, 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 they will uh, sign him he was yeah he pitched in the the u18 world cup um i think it was last year uh when they had yeah it was, it was last year um and he he was one of the best arms over there he stood out uh for his his pitch ability but also the the stuff too um six foot two he's been up to 93 miles an hour uh there's there's arm speed there's uh, more strength projection left there that he has where I think he'll be throwing in the mid-90s if, if not better uh, at some point uh down the road curveball change up uh feel for for his off speed stuff so it's it's a lot of the traits, a lot of the attributes you look for just in terms of the foundation of a, a young starting pitcher. Uh you know there's other guys who maybe I mean it's a good fastball for his age. There's other guys who still either throw just as hard or throw even harder, but might be more bullpen arms. Uh, they don't have much, uh, clue where the ball is going or, or much feel for an off-speed pitch or, or much pitchability. But, um, he has those starter traits that you're, uh, that you're looking for. And I think teams really, uh, place a, a lot of value on in, uh in this area. And
0: yeah, certainly it certainly gets that, to me that, yeah, but, well, certainly at that age, you 93 is pretty good. Uh, you know, I often yeah, see guys that come out of high school <laughs> throwing 98, uh, instantly almost right when they get into pro ball if not before they're going to tommy john so it's always nice to have that 93 as a foundation and then as you get older as you get your mechanics cleaner uh that maybe that velocity takes up a little bit it's a little more i want to say in a healthy way instead of just throwing gas right out of the gate yeah
2: i mean it's uh, i think there's truth to that there's yeah, yeah just I look as you get you're seventeen years old or sixteen years old as as you just mature physically, as you yeah. get stronger, the velocities that come. Your legs get stronger. Like if you're six two, 180 um, and you're throwing ninety three, like once you're six two, you know, two hundred or two ten, you know you don't want to get like, you don't know, you don't want to grow sideways too much, but, uh, but you know, you, you put it on there 20, 30 pounds. You're, yeah. You're probably gonna be throwing harder. And like you said, uh, you know, mechanical adjustments, long toss, uh, whatever program that the the Padres put them on, there's going to be some just natural growth um, that way. Whereas, yeah, when you do have that guy who's 17 years old throwing 99, it's, it is exciting, but it is also scary to like you know what are the limitations of um or or what is the duration of a a pitcher who's throwing that hard that young it's kind of a a double-edged sword
1: it always gets it it it, it kind of blows my mind that you're looking at kids that are 16 17 years old and they're gambling on what they're going to be like when they're four, five, six years from now. So how big are they? How much are they going to grow? Because he's six foot two, six foot three. Is he going to grow taller? Is he how much muscle can he put on? How's the athleticism going to hold up? It always blows my mind that they can that they have some formula in their mind of how they can imagine that projection.
2: Yeah, it's uh yeah, I don't know, formula kind of makes it sound like there is some <laughs> science to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's but no, I I get what you're saying. It Yeah, you're 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 looking for certain traits to project on and and certain philosophies that teams have, but at, at the end of the day, like like you said when these players are 16, 17 and obviously the decisions on these players are being made at an even younger age, yeah. uh there is a uh a, a huge margin of error i mean there's there's not a ton of precision uh the good thing is like if if i think that we look back historically at the track record of the number one prospectors or i think really like the top five five ten players in a given international class but especially that number one player um it's you know uh, from set, like setting aside the cuban players because they just come over at you know will come over their 23 or 26 or 19 so the it's not really comparable to the uh, more traditional signings of the as well the, the track record of those has been pretty good um like surprisingly so for that age uh, you know you still have your your busts your Kevin Mitans uh, of the world but it's also Vladimir Guerrero Jr and uh, you know, like Marco Luciano with the Giants or Jason yeah. Dominguez with the, the Yankees who are top prospects now or, or Eloy Jimenez who's had his ups and downs but I think the Cubs are pretty happy they uh, signed him in that class. So um, I, I think it just gives me a lot more confidence too knowing the track record uh, over the last say 10 years that you know we didn't have obviously 10 years ago when we were doing these rankings to say that yeah, <laughs> I have even more confidence that uh, DeVries is going to be uh, or has a chance to be a, a really good player, and it somewhat mitigates the the risk of him being seventeen years old. But obviously, every kid who's seventeen and hasn't played professional baseball has a, a good amount of risk still.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Eloy Jimenez made himself into a legend before before he ever made it to the majors as a minor leaguer. When he broke the 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 light standard out, he went all Roy Hobbs in that minor league uh, home run derby.
2: I remember JJ um, Cooper taking that video for us. I was like, he's, he's, as soon as he sent it, I was like, oh, that's going to get a bazillion views. That's incredible.
1: It's amazing. And so, one other name that generated a little bit of buzz was outfielder Clay Winklar, the Curacao Little League World Series legend. Legend. Um, and you said he was 6'3, 185 pounds with big power upside. What can you tell us about Clay Winklar?
2: Yeah, like you said, you see him playing in the Little League World Series. Uh, when he was probably like five foot, not much. And now he's this big, strong, uh, you know, pretty athletic outfielder with with big raw power. Um, you know, I, I think the, you know, the players from Curacao, they they tend to have, you know, very, um, you know, good instincts for the game. They, they grow up playing in a lot of games. They don't necessarily face the kind of velocity on a consistent basis that the players from the Dominican Republic do. Um, just there's not the same volume of players uh, in Curacao. They're on the DR and kids from the DR, you know, they're training in a program from the time they're yeah. at a young age. So like at 13, 14 years old, they're swinging wood bats, facing guys throwing, you know, uh, 87, 92, maybe 90, like, you know professional players sometimes are coming through throw a bullpen throw these guys in there uh they'll face them so um you know i, I think there'll be uh, maybe maybe we'll I mean, we'll see maybe an adjustment period just to see in better velocity see how the the pure hitting ability um, ends up being once he's facing more advanced competition but uh yeah definitely uh a lot of power uh, and i think a chance for a lot more power to come because there's uh, a lot of strength projection left with him still.
0: All right, well, let's get down to it. So one of the biggest open secrets in MLB, our teams have verbal handshake agreements with players well below the actual age they can sign them. What are your thoughts on this? And, and teams promise a the player they can sign them and they can lower the signing bonus. They can even, you know, we've seen just recently, they can just cancel it all together on a whim. Um, how, you know, how much does this happen?
2: Yeah, it's... Uh... It happens all the time. I mean, we've been—I mean, I've been writing about it probably like at least uh, over ten years now. When it really, really picked up, I would say, trying to think back, maybe like twenty fifteen. Before that, players would always have deals before at the you know at the time that signing day was July second. Players would still have deals before then. By twenty fifteen, it started to pick up where uh, like players would have or maybe just one player, uh, you know, at least one player I know had uh, an agreement to sign a year before his July 2nd. And that was like, whoa, like that's, that's wild. Uh, it, it, um, mm. And now it, it's just gotten earlier and earlier and earlier. And it's, I mean, it's, it's obviously not a good system, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't, it's not good for, it's not good for the players. It's not good for the you know the trainers you know whose programs are are developing the players and it's not good for the teams so for pretty much anybody who matters it's not a good system for for anybody uh the the players they they have to uh you know be ready to sign at a a younger age so where the signing age is i mean mlb kind of like sneakily raised the signing age by (laughs) just by pushing the signing date back, uh, from July 2nd to January 15th. But, you know, instead of being ready to sign when you're 16 slash 17, now basically have to be the players are having to be ready to sign by the time they're like 13, 14 is when a lot of the agreements are being struck. So that's not good for players. The trainers who have to develop them, they don't want that either. Like they don't want to have to try to, you know, have a player ready to be able to sign uh, and have his skills or like tools ready by the time they're 13 or 14 years old. Uh, They don't want that. And the teams don't want that either. Like they don't want to be (laughs) making decisions and having their jobs depend on their ability to predict the future of players who are 13, 14 years old. Uh, But the way the system is set up, that's uh, that's where all of the incentives are now the teams are you know you can go out and sign or, or agree to sign a player at uh any time any day of the year for any class um and teams are super competitive so yeah uh, they want to beat everybody else to the punch to sign the next you know leo dallas devry or the next ethan salas um so all right let's you know keep our eye on the you know 2027 or the 2028 class right now. So, uh, and, and the way the bonus pools work, uh, you know, teams have already committed a lot of their money for, you know, certainly for this year, uh, for next year too, for the year beyond that. So it's like, well, once we have a lot of bonus pool money committed for 2026 already, and a lot of the other top players are who we guys, who we think are the top players as much as we can know at this point for 2026 already have deals elsewhere. Let's, you know try to get the top guys for 2027 20, so everything just sort of um all, all the incentives push everybody into this um current situation that we have now that really i don't think benefits uh anybody in in this scenario
1: yeah i've seen some some write-ups and some domestic like i'll see a sheet and it's like a scouting report of a bunch of kids that are like 10, 11, 12 years old and this is for US kids and it's just it feels so gross like kids that right. age should be out having fun getting dirty sliding rolling in the grass have you know throwing gum at their friends you know, doing goofy kid stuff not thinking about you know what do i need to do to to improve my 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 stock so i can right you know, get signed by a school or whatever Um, So how do the teams do their homework on these players? Do they get like an assessment from academies on makeup and work ethic or how does, how does this all happen when kids are 10, 11, 12, 13 years old?
2: Um, Yeah. So the teams, I mean, the teams all have their international scouting department. So you'll have your, you know, your international director, probably some cross checkers or other um, you know, assistants or special assistants, maybe who come down from the States to see players and then you have your, your people on the ground probably, uh, you know, it varies by team, You know, like a Latin American scouting director, uh, maybe like uh, supervisors in each country. So, uh, you know, a supervisor who's kind of like your boss in the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, and then area scouts all all throughout those countries too. And then, you know, scouts in Colombia, Panama, et cetera, uh, as well. Um, so those scouts go are on the grounds going out to all these different, Um, you know, trainer Academy programs going out to their fields, seeing players uh, watching them, Uh, you know, a program will have players um, in their, um, you know, in their, in their Academy who are, you know, say players who are eligible to sign now uh, players, you know, 2024, 25, 26, 27, 28. So you're, you know, depending how, you know, the the team and what you're looking for, they'll, they'll probably see a whole bunch of players, uh, at once. Sometimes they play games against each other. Sometimes you're just there watching them do a, a workout, run the sixty BP infield, outfield, uh, maybe some live BP or sim game stuff. It, it you know it varies by team. And then there are other ways where uh, you know I don't I'm pretty sure the rules right now are you, like you can't bring a 13 year old like the Padres can not bring a 13 year old player into their academy in the Dominican Republic at the Padres Academy, but you can bring older players who are not yet eligible uh, to sign to your, to your Academy in the Dominican Republic. Uh, you know, whether they're from, you know, the DR, or, you know, bring players in from Venezuela, Curacao, Panama. So, uh, you know, like pretty much all these guys who just signed on January 15th uh, have all spent time already at the Academy of Dominican Republic. Um, sometimes that happens after they've already agreed. To sign, but sometimes it's part of the evaluation process itself, where you're bringing the players into your academy, um, into your team academy, and you have a lot more obviously control and flexibility to um, get an evaluation on these players uh, on the field. Uh, you know, you can set up games, do different drills, work with you know work with your own player development, your coaching staff down there. Um, you know, when there's a, there's like GMs or assistant GMs will fly in. Sometimes you'll bring in a whole bunch of different players, maybe from around the Dominican Republic, for uh, like top guys for a workout, so you know the, the top dogs can uh, come in and and see those guys, uh, and then you can have them stay overnight too. I and mean, there's certain you know rules and restrictions on how many nights a, a player can spend at a team academy per interesting uh, per month and all that. But uh, you know, if, for, as far as off the field stuff, I think that's a really good way. Uh, I think or I think teams certainly view it as a, a very helpful way to get to know these players because you're around them, you know, 24 seven, say for a week, you see how they interact with your, your coaches, how they interact with their teammates. Now it doesn't say, you know, doesn't necessarily tell you how they're going to act after you uh, give them a million dollars, because then that might change, but I'm it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good way to just be up close and personal with a lot of these players and really get to know them both on and uh, off the field. In addition to the, you know, the, the the field work you're doing going around the country is going to see these guys.
0: Well, and they have what are the name of those games? I I read somewhere there's a specific name for the games uh, at at the um, at the academies where they're not true games like they do have the DSL the, the tricky league. Is it, is it the tricky league that? Yes, it's the tricky league. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. So that I mean that was like a very popular thing. Um, so like when players would sign on July 2nd, they obviously you know they moved the signing date after the pandemic, but these players would sign july 2nd and then they don't actually you know unless they're already like 17 or previously eligible to sign those guys could play right away in the dsl but you know everybody else had to wait until the following year to play in the dsl but the teams are like no we want these guys to be playing games like it's very important at that age to be playing games we can't just be sitting around doing you know drills and workouts or live bp that kind of stuff we want to play games we want to play other teams so there was um, a lot of teams would play these like informal games at their academies against, you know, the Rockies would play the Padres or the Mets would play the Yankees, something like that. So um, it was—I I loved it. It was a great way to see these players. It's a great way for the players to develop and uh, get experience playing, you know, playing. I don't want to say—I guess not official games, but they—they you know, they are real games
0: in a meaningful the, way, though, right? That's certainly a yeah, It's be, like you want to do your best and be on your best. Yeah, you want to be in your game for these games.
2: Yeah, it's you know, it's like it's like instructionally, you know, you can roll an inning and that kind of thing if you want, um, and and you know, teams will still have Dominican instructional league, and um, you know, the uh, teams will sort of loosely and formally still create these games for some of their um, players who they're going to sign or or considering signing to. Uh, some you know they'll do it at the trainer field sometimes, but uh, but yeah, anything getting these kids playing in games is is typically a a, a positive.
1: So you keep saying academy. Is there actual academic education involved in this whole process? Because I get the impression that once these kids hit like double digits, they don't like schooling isn't like their their full time is devoted toward getting ready to be a professional baseball player. But I would hope that these kids are still learning some, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, life skills kind of stuff
2: yeah when do you mean that the like the team academies or at the trainer academies at
1: at, at both
2: yeah so i mean at the team academies i I think the teams and like like i think it varies by team they do have educational programs set up for players um there I, i think a lot of it the like the curriculum varies some of it's very very much just focused on like all right let's learn english Because that's going to help you when you you know come over to the United States. Uh, Others have more uh, more in depth high school programs and high school graduation ceremonies. I think like the twins just had their graduation uh, the other day for their players at the Dominican uh, Academy. Uh, The Mets did theirs right around January fifteenth. The the Padres had theirs
0: too as well. They 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 did yeah
2: yeah. So yeah, I think
0: my heart
1: when I see that.
2: Yeah. So they, they, yeah, they'll do that. Uh, But it, you know, it varies and, you know, how much the, how much effort the players put into it obviously varies by player, which I I know, I guess is the same here in high school in, in the United States too. Uh, Before that, like when they're in a, you know, the, uh, a program or like a trainer's academy developing there, it really, it varies, but like, yeah, I mean, you're like education is not a focal point for um, for them there um, a lot of them are, are just training you know five days a week baseball and are not doing any school uh, but there are you know there are some some of them do like weekend school or, um, or or still do take classes and and there are some families that are you know very adamant about their their son getting an education and, and not stopping school so um, you know and, and some of it too is not you know some some of it obviously is specific to them pursuing a, a career in baseball so they are stopping school for that reason uh, but other times you know there there are there are other people who are the same age who are you know 14 15 years old in the Dominican Republic who just drop out of school to to work uh, yeah. or to do something to make money to uh, right. to help their family too so it's not just baseball but yeah, I mean you're right like the the baseball component is obviously a, a huge part of it. So, um yeah, I mean the reality is a lot of my kids do uh specifically in the Dominican Republic stop going to school altogether at the uh, um you know, a way too young age. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So, they, there have been some recent reports that the agreements have been nullified for players being older than they said they are. You know, how do teams verify and trust the information that they're given, even with the MLB background checks? Uh, it, it seems that teams are doing their own investigating. They, um, like I work for a university, I see eight, I see some 18 year old kids, I'm like, dude, you look like you're like 30. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'm 18, you know. <laughs> oh. But how do they verify this information and uh, avoid kind of getting in the the kind of predicament that's been going on right recently?
2: Yeah. So, yeah, MLB does investigations. Any player who signs, I think, yeah, any player who signs for above 20 grand, um, and the median signing bonus is really not much higher than that. But uh, any player who signs for above that amount does get an investigation by MLB and the, the top players, uh, like it's MLB calls it like level two registration players. Uh, I think it's like 175 players, who I mean, also just because of how early these agreements are struck, they pretty much know <laughs> well in advance who's going to be signing for the biggest bonuses. So those guys get investigated on a pre-contract basis um, in advance of the the signing date. Um, so MLB does their investigation how much confidence teams have in those investigations, I think varies quite a bit. Um, I think certainly the, the, the more uh, seasoned, more experienced scouts um, uh, or personnel on the ground in, uh, in Latin America, make sure that their teams do their own homework on, on these players and kind of conduct their own, Uh, I I don't know if you want to call it like an investigation or or just do their own background on a player. Cause there are players who, you know, like there are players who sign who I'll be talking to a scout about uh, in the Dominican Republic. And they'll be like, Oh yeah. Like this guy is, you know, huge, huge power, like break down the whole player. Uh, But like, you know, we've, you know, our, our area scout knows like this kid and like the family and like, you know, knows him really well. And, Um, like we, we know he's like three years older than he says he is. Um, (laughs) and then, you know, the player still signs and, uh, nothing seems to happen. So, um, the team, the teams definitely need to make sure they're doing their own background on players, but it's, it's not, it's not easy to do. I mean, it's not the, the registration and like how, how players are, um, um, like registered when they're. I say like, people like, just you know, when babies are born, right. Um, right. Like how, how they're like the official documentation is the, the, the whole system is different uh, and a lot murkier, uh, hospital records, school records, um, you know, like people, if you're, especially if you're motivated enough, because the player's going to get a big enough bonus, people can be uh, bought off for, um, you know, different prices and all these different checkpoints along the way. That's, uh, you need to look out for but uh, but yeah i think teams the the smart teams definitely make sure they try to do their own background on on players especially if they're giving them a, a
1: substantial bonus yeah. yeah as far as these mlb investigate I've, I've become pretty cynical about a lot of things that major league baseball does and it certainly seems like it's not until it Rightfully starts to so. hit their it's <laughs> not until it starts to hit their their bottom line Um, If it's going to be some scandal that there's all this bad press because minor league players don't get paid a fair wage or their living situation and has all these problems. It isn't until it becomes this huge black eye on the sport that they finally do something about it. And it kind of seems like that's it's one thing when it's the players that are here in American cities and you're watching their they're telling their story. These kids are in a third world country yeah speak a different language um you know they, 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 we don't have media coverage you know except for guys like yourself it's very rare that we get media coverage of what's going mm-hmm. on in these academies um so like these trainer academy what do these academies cost for a player is there a player cost who pays for them are there scholarships how does that work
2: yeah so it's it's very different than in the states where like if you're if you're a high school player in the states um Mom and dad are paying all of your costs up front. So, uh, bats, travel ball is a
0: complete, complete industry unto itself. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Oh, a hundred percent. Um, it is a big, big business. And, but you know, the, the players are, you know, and it's <laughs> again, like it's there's certainly a disparity in terms of the, uh, um, the, <clears throat> the, the socioeconomic status of players. Uh, who tend to be able to, uh, afford that stuff in the States because parents are paying for all of that stuff up front, right? Like all the equipment, <clears throat> excuse me, the, you know, gloves, spikes, bats, um, uh, you know, wood bat, metal bat, all that stuff Cost to join your travel ball team cost to, you know, fly to North Carolina and go and your parents to go with you to Georgia, Florida, everywhere across the country, all these different events and tournaments, um, Whereas in, and then, you know, and then they sign and, and if they do sign, they, you know, pay the agent 5% or for, you know, their signing of their signing bonus when they get drafted um, in, in Latin America and specifically like the, especially Dominican Republic, Venezuela, it, there's no typically upfront costs for the player. So you go to a program, uh, you join the, you know, trainer XYZ, whoever uh, you join that academy, and they're paying for pretty much all that stuff uh, for you uh, upfront. Uh, you know, all your equipment, your clothes, um, all your gear. Uh, if you need somebody to, all, all your coaching uh, and and these you know academies. Some of them are more lean and it's uh, maybe just one guy who's who's running it uh, others it's more like uh you know a ceo running some uh, like a company where uh, you know they have a hitting coach a pitching coach uh, other coaches on staff a strength and conditioning guy uh, you need somebody to hey the padres want to see you at their academy today well like mom and dad maybe have a car maybe not but like you know somebody's gonna get somebody's gonna pick you up and drive mm-hmm. you there drive you to this place make sure you're going some uh where you need to to be uh you know big event in the United States you go to all right paying all obviously upfront for all your airfare and hotel and all that stuff um and then on the back end they're getting obviously a lot more than the 5% once the player signs which you know is fair i think cuz you know not necessarily what they're charging in every instance is fair but it's fair to charge more than 5% when you're providing all of these um, upfront up things for the player over, again, what's now several uh, several years because they're having to get these players such, such a young age and then they're actually signing it, you know, maybe five years later at uh, 16, 17 years old. So uh, then they're charging, you know, 30-plus percent, um, sometimes um, exorbitantly more yeah. than that. Um, and sometimes, you know, pocketing even more than what they should be or have agreed to with the the player and the player's family. So um, obviously, that's not uh, uh, something that should be happening. But yeah, pretty much all the the costs are um, upfront paid for by the the player's trainer, agent, whatever you want to call it, uh, and then the payment comes once they once they do sign and and in a lot of cases just players won't sign at all in which case there's nothing to um you know there's no <laughs> there's nothing for the the agent to to collect
1: so then ultimately major league baseball is is footing the bill for all of it it's just that they take that one big bonus and now they use that to 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 seed their their academy and support because you know, now you've got all these so these all these kids that i mean the Padres what this list of I don't know, 25, 30 guys. Most of these are signing for less than $10,000. So there's not a whole lot going back to the academy um, to support those that come behind. So for that player, so for Leo DeVries that signs for whatever it was, $4.6 million, um, you, he's probably going to wind up taking home you know, fraction of that. Do they see it that way? Like, do they Are they okay with that, that they're going to have to cut this much back to their – trainer and that they're kind of paying it forward to the generation behind them, or I would have a hard time with that. If I was that right. kid,
2: the is, you mean, is the, they as an MLB or they as in the player, the player. Um, I, I think it probably, it's a pen. It probably just depends on, on the player and, and the circumstance, um, I, you know, like, has, well, like, has So, yeah. so
1: DeVries comes from a family that has some means, you know, I'm, I don't know, I don't know what their family background is like, but they've, they've been playing pro ball for a few generations. They've had success. They can do the international, uh, you know, they travel around and do the showcases. So obviously they can, they can back that before he signed his big bonus. I don't know what kind of a family background Leo DeVries comes from, but that is, that is generational wealth for I mean beyond generational wealth yeah for 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 a kid like that
2: yeah i think they it's yeah part of it is like when you sign for that much money like you're not even in some cases like you're not even thinking about how much you're paying you're like oh okay like i signed for you know let's say a 2 million dollar bonus maybe i paid somebody uh 7 800,000 whatever it is that they provide that much value <laughs> for me, like, oh, probably, probably not. Uh, but they're probably thinking, oh, well, I, I just got, you know, $1.2 million. I, I grew up, um, you know, like you said, eh, the economic upbringing of players um, varies quite a bit. But um, I think that they're probably thinking of just, you know, it, it, like it, it, sometimes they're thinking just, oh, how much money they did get. Uh, but it, right. yeah, it probably varies. I'm sure from um, from player to player.
0: Well, yeah, and I've from been on the website, and I've seen a lot of these. A lot of the academies uh, they have they have websites. Uh, they have Instagram uh, posts, and this whole last couple of weeks have been nothing but those academies showing these kids being signed. Um, and I judge them how how good the academy is based on their website, which is really not really. <laughs> A really doesn't get book by its um, but you would think that these, you know, you think that the more players that get signed out of these at, at each academy, like they can do that. like, hey, we had ten guys signed last year, and you know, this guy signed for that much money, and these guys just got signed just being signed. um, and to be almost an organizational guy out of these academy is a huge is a huge deal for these guys. Um the ones that don't get signed, do they age out? What happens if they don't sign an MLB contract? Uh, What other opportunities are available for those guys? Or do they just kind of go and, you know, find work, you know, somewhere else in back home?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, it's a good question, Donovan, because it touched on a point that it's it's always bothered me that I, you know, in, in the United States, if a high school player, you know, doesn't get drafted. Okay. Well, or just doesn't draft and doesn't want to sign, maybe. You can go on and play college baseball. You can go on and play junior college baseball. Uh, There are other avenues for you to continue developing as a player from the age of uh, 18, 19 through 21, 22, 23 years old, uh, and, and then try to sign out of the draft after that. In Latin America, we have... I mean, if a player... Is not signed right now. Who's eligible to sign on January fifteenth? They're looked at as like you know, like a, a leftover player. Uh, by the time you're, by the time you're seventeen, like certainly eighteen, as a position player, um, it's really hard to get signed at that point. Um, and and especially now with how fast everything is moving, with the pace of these agreements and then MLB, you know, MLB cutting minor league teams and cutting minor league roster spots too, which is another related issue where, okay, now we can only have so many players on our roster domestically. Um, Okay. We can have more in the Dominican summer league, but like, you know, we need to bring guys over to the States too. And there's limitations there. So that guy who's maybe a little bit more raw, we think might we like a lot of things about him but needs two years in the Dominican Summer League, you know like a Starling Marte. Uh, like we're just less likely maybe to sign a guy like that now, which is unfortunate, but right uh, you know pitchers I think get a little bit of a longer leash. like teams are willing to sign guys who are 18, which you know is a high school senior here. Right. the United States 18, 19 years old it might might be a ten thousand dollar signing bonus, but there's at least an opportunity to sign right. uh, but by the time you know if like you're a position player and you're eighteen years old or and you're a pitcher and you're eighteen um, 18, 19, uh, it, it's either almost impossible or, or really difficult to sign. so what do you do? Like, you, those guys aren't gonna go play college baseball they're they're right. probably not coming over here here to the States to go play at a Juco somewhere. Um, So it it sucks that there's no development system for these players to continue uh, because some of them will, I'm sure, you know, pop uh, at some point between 19 and 21 years old, if given the opportunity to continue developing and then go back to these early agreements that we're talking about. You know, if you're a, a trainer and you have a program it's not cheap to run Um, and and you're, you know, you have players in your program right now who are, you know, eligible, maybe are are guys who are still eligible to sign right now for 2024, but you also have guys for 25, 26, 27, 28, um, maybe even beyond that too, uh, because they want to, you know, have players trained and ready to be signed at such an early age now so they're just looking at it economically and like, hey, I have this shortstop. He's 17 years old. He's was eligible to sign January 15th. If, you know, probably by the end of the year, if, if he hasn't signed, what like he's not, he knows he's not going to sign him probably for more than $10,000. So why keep training him and, and trying to develop him? You know, sometimes they move him to the mound if he has a strong arm, see if something clicks there. But, um, It's, yeah, it's, it's one, there's obviously a lot of aspects I would like to change. uh, But as far as like the on-field specific stuff, I I would love if there was some sort of developmental opportunity for players from uh, Latin America to be able to like continue playing uh, like, like we have here uh, in the States after they're, you know, 18 years old.
0: Oh, absolutely. And we talked to several guys that got into the draft league. And got signed out of the draft league. That you know, we're obviously former minor league teams, but you know, even guys coming out of independent ball, that slave, you know, Robert Stock comes to mind. He just had another pro day <laughs> drive line, trying to get a job. And there's so many more areas where you can develop and get better and get noticed and get signed. Uh, Braden Net, we we talked to her earlier this year, undrafted free agent, played in the draft league. You know, has some control issues, but certainly you know, blew up during the Arizona Fall League. Um, but I would think in, in the Dominican, there's just, there's no structure. There's no, who's going to pay for it. Like those are partner right. leagues with major league baseball. Those teams have a community in a city where people go play, where they're a part of the community, the community partners where there is, there is money funneling into those teams. Um, Cause the city is behind them, but I don't, I don't see that in, in, in Dominican, in the Dominican Republic. I don't see that in Panama. I wouldn't definitely see that in Curacao. Um, and it's unfortunate that that happens. Um, and you see guys like we, we talk to guys all the time that um, they'll just retire. Like, like we just had one just recently, like we talked to him like last year and he was, he had some injuries, but he just, he'd retired, but he can go on to go do other things. He can go on to have his life. You know, we follow a lot of these guys on Instagram and they go out to find jobs. Uh, they work for their fathers and for their, their parents or whatever. Um, but it seems like if, you know, if you're in, if you're in the Dominican Republic and you don't get signed like you're in, you know, and with the third world economy like that, there's not a lot of opportunity to, to maybe even stay in the game. Is there's how many players do we see become minor leaguers that go into coaching or to become high school coaches? Um, It's just, there's so many other ways to be in baseball in America and not have to be a a player all the time. You know what I mean? Or, Or have to be a player of a certain level to uh to continue in the game.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean a lot of and a lot of scouts too in the, you know, in DR Venezuela. A lot of those guys are former players who, you know, got their foot in the door, maybe had, you know, brief uh, minor league career but made enough of an impression on uh somebody uh, in the organization where they're like, "Hey, we we like this guy. Like he he works hard, he's a, he's a good person, uh seems to have feel for the game." uh is is somebody we want working for us as a you know a scout or, or a coach or in some other uh capacity. So uh even those guys who um sign and maybe aren't the uh the greatest prospects or, or greatest players end up having uh long long careers in in the game still.
1: When I was asking you that question about the bonus and where the bonus money goes and you asked, well, like MLB, are you asking like where MLB? I don't think MLB cares where the money goes. (laughs) And if you look at the, at the finances of it. And so I got the international signing bonus pools up here and the, the top pool last year was what? $7.1 million. And that's the cost of like a middle reliever, like a, a, a very mid middle reliever. So for the price of one guy that you can probably write off on a major league roster, they're out here signing dozens of kids. And I'm sure the the labor, the cost to pay the coaches and the keeping up the fields and all that stuff in the Dominican is so much cheaper than it is in the United States um, that this side of the, the economy of major league baseball is, is really skewed. Um, and I just, I, I I can't help get my mind off of that. So anyway. I've heard of a thing called an MLB trainer partner. What is that? And how, what is the criteria for an Academy to become an MLB trainer partner?
2: Um, yeah. MLB has what they call the MLB trainer partnership program. Um, I think it gets a lot of press, uh, from like MLB itself. Cause they want to like promote this, uh, and act like it's this like big thing. Uh,
0: legit right in, in uh, like level. it's
2: yeah it's i mean it's it, it's useful um it's not like a huge deal they they will put on so mlb like they used to put on showcases um for like uh, like a big a big international showcase every year uh, and then they'd have uh, like a dominican you know some events in the dominican republic venezuela uh, they, they've shifted how they do it, and now it's really uh, like they just invite members of the partnership program when they do these events. Uh, but they don't do that many uh, of them, and it's not, like, critical toward a, a player getting signed anyway. Uh, but they basically just reach out to maybe not every prominent team. Uh, trainer uh, or agent uh, in the dr in, in venezuela but a lot of them uh they may exclude some of them who they don't want being a part of it for whatever reason but um you know like the trainers get the advantage of you know they can market themselves uh, as oh we're part of the trainer partnership program uh, mlb gives them you know probably some free gear that kind of right. stuff um um they, the they are, there you go yeah they the girl, they right. are yeah yeah they i think the play the players are subject to more drug testing um than more some more random drug testing than than if they're not in the partnership program um i don't know how much that makes a difference uh or not it is i think it's a good thing obviously um yeah. cuz uh well, obviously but um a
0: little little oversight, right? there's a little oversight there. You know, yeah. It, it's it's funny how we every year we go to spring training, and every year we spend more time on the back lots than we do watching the big league game. And we'll go to each individual field and I'll I'll see names of guys that okay, I'll remember okay, but okay, we'll see if he's gonna be an Elsinore this year. We'll see if he's gonna be an A-ball. Like there are guys that never leave the Academy and the DR. There's never there's guys that never leave the the complex in, um, you know, in in here in in, in America, uh, and those guys they, they wash out for various reasons. Those are the guys that kind of I wonder about. You know, the ones that do make it to America and never leave the complex. And do they go home? Or can they stay here in America? And I don't know, work here or do do they go home? Do you know where they go? It's the guys that kind of wash out of of um organizations. So like, so you'd say, you mean say a guy. Get signs,
2: you know, comes over, makes it over to the Arizona complex league, but like gets released out of the ACL. Like, yeah. what happens to him? Uh, yeah. uh, so, you know, sometimes they just go back home, uh, to the Dominican Republic. Sometimes they, uh, they'll stay, uh, and just try to get a job somewhere. Um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, whatever kind of job, obviously, right. Uh, they can. They can get, but yeah, a lot of them do just uh, go back home to the DR and try to get a job back there or try to get signed. I mean, it's tough right now. Like we got <laughs> – so it's, it's going to become a bigger problem in the coming years with these roster limits where teams are releasing guys where they're like, like we still like something about this guy. Like we want to give him more of an opportunity. Like we're releasing players who are like we just signed like a couple of years ago who are – you know, 18, 19 years old, like we're just drafting players who are 19, but um, the, the roster elements now are becoming a, a bigger issue.
1: Hey, we yeah, really- my heart always goes out to those guys that yeah. like, okay, so from age 10 to 15, they were in an academy, not getting an education, a real world education. They're getting a baseball education. Then they get signed by a team for $10,000. They come over, they play their whole minor league career, five, six, seven plus years, but they never make it out of high A. And then they wash out. And now they're 25, whatever years old, and they have no real world education other than just school of hard knocks and baseball. And now they're, they're just let go out into the world and okay, go figure it out. And I I got to imagine that's, I can't imagine how tough that is.
2: Well, and, and the median signing bonus, I mean, uh, like obviously like the, the, Big bonus players get all the headlines and all the attention. That's what everybody sees. Oh, this oh this sixteen year old kid got two million dollars. This guy got seven hundred thousand dollars. Oh, that's great. Uh, I think the median signing bonus. I'd have to you know run the numbers last year, but it's something like thirty five forty thousand dollars, something in that area. So you're signing for that amount of money. Um, then you're going to the Dominican Academy. What's what's your minor league salary there? Like basically nothing. Um, you make it to Arizona, the complex league. What's your salary there? It's it, you know, it better now than it was a, co- a few years ago. Yeah, Great, definitely. but like again, pretty much nothing. So then you're going back home after getting released. Like it's not like you have all of this savings built up either. So uh you know, hopefully, you know, the guys who signed for big bonuses were able to save some of that. But uh, you know. Just, just cause a guy you signed for a million dollars doesn't mean you have a million dollars or even if, you know, after, you know, whatever taxes or commissions you have to pay, let's say you have a million dollars, uh, that doesn't mean you still have a million dollars. Some of these guys right. spend, uh, spend money in a hurry on cars and, uh, all sorts of things that, uh, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of 17 year old, 18 year old kids would, uh, Spend spend a lot of money on it. That's the same. In,
0: no different in the draft
2: here with uh, high school players, too.
0: Shoes and cars, man. Shoes and cars, right?
2: Yeah. Jewelry, all sorts of <laughs> essentials.
0: Okay. So do you do you see another way to create a system where there is more accountability, uh, less incentive for teams to kind of exploit players and in these academies? Um, is there a better way?
2: Uh I wish I had like a foolproof system. Um I mean, I think there are things that can be done to um stop different things that that should be or change things that uh, certain aspects that should be changed. I mean obviously MLB's solution to slowing down the signing process is a draft, which would slow things down, but as far as issues um like, you know, performance enhancing, you know, steroids, you know, kids being given steroids. Um,
0: is that like, pretty prevalent that, down there? And some of the, you know, lesser known, I mean, is it prevalent down there?
2: Yeah. I mean, I like, like, I don't know how to put a number on it. I wouldn't know how to quantify it, but it is, yeah, it, it happens just the fact that it's happening more than even a rare occurrence is way too much. Um and it's it's not like the kid is saying, all right, you know, I'm going to go on steroids to, uh, you know, improve my chances yeah. to sign or to get a bigger bonus. It's p- some adult giving him uh, steroids, maybe without, uh, in fact, probably often without his knowledge of what is going into his body. So, uh, like, it's not the player's fault. It's some adult probably taking advantage wow. of that player. Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot of things to, um, I, I would love to see changed, but um I like I don't have a foolproof solution for for uh for how to implement it, but obviously MLB is, uh for for a, going back probably like 30 years, their idea has been an international draft is plan A, uh, and plan B is, uh, well, we'll try again next CBA for an international draft.
1: So the uh, we've heard about this draft. As you said, thirty years they've been talking about it. What are some of the big roadblocks in the way of an of a functional, actual international draft? I I don't see how they could even make it happen.
2: In, in terms of practically having a system for an international draft, or how, well, how they would yeah, because like
1: right now you've got through. this whole this whole industry that goes back to when these kids are, you know, nine, 10 years old. And so if you say, okay, you're not going to get picked until yeah, you know, how, how does that, that would, that would flip the whole economics, that whole system yeah. upside down that MLB is supporting.
2: Uh, I, I think economically it would, you could still have a draft and make it work. Um, it would, it would, it would definitely slow down the pace of, these super early agreements because how are you going to agree to sign a player for 2027 when you don't even know where you're going to pick <laughs> in the draft or, uh, who's going to be, you know, uh, all, all that stuff. So th- it would, s- that, that, that would slow everything down, uh, as far as like how players get paid and the, you know, the ecosystem around the, the, you know, the,
0: the, rankings, the,
2: well, yeah, I I meant more like the trainers and like developing the players, like, oh, like would their status be in jeopardy? Like, I, I don't think so. Um, I mean it would a draft would reduce obviously the freedom for the players to be able to choose where they sign to, you know, to the extent that they have it now. Um but I think the like the aggregate like the aggregate pool money or the aggregate money that goes to players would probably still be I mean you can make it the same you can make it higher and then probably would make it a little bit higher especially to like market oh like hey players are getting more money in this draft but you know like i mean look we do like the draft bonus pools in the states go up every year i think commensurate with the increases in revenue so it would just be you know the first pick in the draft gets you know what like salas got 5.6 million dollars all right we'll, we'll make the top pick in the draft uh that's you know 5.8 million dollars second pick is five you know you just go down and, and you slot it that way so uh you know there's no more freedom to select your team uh pretty much at at that point but uh the bonuses would still be paid uh the trainer would still get his you know whatever percentage his commission is from that and it um it it, it at that point then does It it slows everything down and it does incentivize, um, you know, having players be at their best when they're 16 or 17 years old. Now, you'd have to, I think, set up the draft in a way that, like, I think gives players protections because 16 year old Dominican shortstop who, you know, grew up in Bunny, where, you know, it does, does not have the same leverage as. Right uh kid going to harvard westlake uh who has a commitment to stanford or uh lsu or wherever um they pretty much have no leverage so and, and what so what mlb had in their proposal to the union was hard slotting which i think the initial instinct from people is oh hard slotting that's for you know the owners to clamp down on bonuses which the the yes, like the idea of an international draft back when there was inter tr- like true international free agency there was no bonus pools anything of course they wanted the draft as a cost containment mechanism or when the padres were spending like what like 90 million dollars that year, when you were, yeah when you were allowed to blow past your bonus pool um and and do that of course they wanted the draft to contain costs right but then they actually got the union to agree to this hard capped system to which mlb was like uh wait you you said yes to that like
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, deal like okay that? we're done all right thanks hey, yeah yes here, yes,
2: yes exactly so but so now it's it's already a hard capped system for bonuses anyway so it, it would just be moving to this essentially hard cap system in the draft you're just kind of maneuvering around how players get paid but whereas in the draft you have this you know the the first overall pick has a i don't know 9 million dollar uh uh slot value but you you know you might pick somebody and sign them for 7 million dollars and right. use that 2 million dollar savings elsewhere you know wh- wh- what's going to happen AJ,
0: classic aj preller worked there and always <laughs> signing under
2: under slot guys to save money yeah but but what's going to happen when you know the Oakland A's have the sixth pick in the international draft and the pick value is three million dollars and their owner says why are we paying this kid who you know grew up with no indoor plumbing in his house like why are we offering him three million dollars he's not going to go to university of miami if we don't sign him let's offer him you know a million like so you don't you you want to have the players have some protection in place. Whereas if the slot value is three million dollars and it's a hard slot, okay, if you pick this player,
0: you have to pay him this money.
2: Yeah. Now, like you know, fails a physical, PED, some other issue comes up. Okay, uh, that's that's different. But you know, same in same in the draft here in the states. So, um, I think you could set it up. Uh, but I, I think it's important to make sure that there are. Um, protections in place for players because you you can't treat players the same uh in in the domestic draft here in the states the the way it would work internationally it's um like i I hear people say oh i just treat everybody you know the same but the whole baseball system the the countries that the way players grow up it's just not you, you have to treat them differently
1: right in an international draft it wouldn't just be Dominican Republic it's it's Taiwan it's all over the world it's international I, right it's a very complex question so
2: yeah that part i mean yeah it's I mean, it's a good point like and, and i think players from taiwan and and south korea right now are in a really tough spot cuz all of these teams are you know committing all this money in their bonus pool to players in latin america at very young ages whereas players over there don't sign until later on like once they're graduating high school really uh so they're already in a disadvantaged position right now and then um yeah like in in an international draft like yeah like you said how do you account for players from you know it it, 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 it while well, it is primarily players from the dr and Venezuela who are signing there are all these other countries and it's not the same way in in each country
1: you know a long long time ago we talked to Eric sim and he told us a little bit about what it was like growing up in South Korea and being in one of those academies over there and he made it sound like it was it was not fun at all they were pretty cool <laughs> but <laughs> so holistic. you, you You, you raised a question and I don't expect you to have an answer for this, but so, okay. If you add up all of the 30 major league, uh, international bonus pools and compare that against what their total draft pool is. I'm curious, like that proportion, it's like 10 to one or something like that, probably because I'm thinking like fifth round picks are still getting six figures. And if you go, whatever, 150 kids deep in an international signing period you're not getting six figure signing bonuses right. it's by that point you're you're signing guys for $5,000 so the number of major league players that you get out of a draft compared to the number of major league players you get out of an international bonus pool is it proportional to the amount of money that a player that a team invests in a draft versus the amount of money that the team invests in the international bonus pool and that's a complex question i know it I, that, that's just there's a study there that can be run. And I'm sure teams do that. Yeah.
2: And, and then the other thing is it would have to be, uh, you know, to the extent you can make it forward looking too. Cause I think the, you know, you can look at what percentage of players now are international in the big leagues uh, com- compared to players from the States, but it's, it's growing. So like, what should the percentage that players who are, Let's say signing in 2025. When by the time they get to the big leagues, maybe the percentage of international players has even grown since then. So, um, I mean, yeah, like the like you're right. The the bonus pools in the in the draft are definitely higher than they are internationally. Um, but you know, some of that is understandable. Like the population of the United States is much greater than uh, you know, even even though it is like you said, uh, pretty much every country outside of U S Canada and and Puerto Rico as well. Um, But it is primarily Dominican Republic, Venezuela, and you're signing players who are, uh, you know, high school players who are a little bit older and and definitely the college players, like, you know, and Adley Rushman coming out of the drafts would be like, it's, it's hard to compare him to, uh, you know, as somebody even, you know, even an Ethan Salas at at the time, Salas uh, uh, signed. So, um, I mean, I, I think the biggest, um, yeah. I mean, w- w- one of the biggest differences too is just how much you can pay an undrafted free agent in the draft, which I think is up to and doesn't count against your bonus pool, uh, which uh, or, or a player after the tenth round, which I believe is up to what one hundred twenty-five thousand, might be yeah. a little bit higher than that yeah. now. Whereas, what in internationally it's 10,000 or less right. like that's well, that's one to me where you know like i'd have like conversations with these trainers in latin america about you know back when the international draft was happening and they'd be like oh like we want to make sure like we have a lot of rounds to make sure all you know what we can sign enough players to make sure the number of players doesn't go down and i was like well are, like are you looking at this because they're trying to make sure that like a a player drafted after, say, like the 20th round can't sign for more than $20,000. Why, why is that when players in the States can sign for, I think maybe at that time was like $100,000 without it counting against their bonus pool? Uh, like maybe you want fewer rounds and more freedom to sign for up to 100000 or $125,000, uh, even with fewer rounds, and you'll end up uh, better off Uh, you know, players will end up being able to sign for more money, but uh, yeah, I mean, that that is one part that definitely jumps out to me is like international player signed for up to 10,000 without accounting, player in the states in the draft, 125,000 or whatever the exact number is. Like that, that doesn't seem (laughs) square, yeah, yeah.
1: No, but you mentioned leverage, and that's so important. That um, so here you've got high school kid. That has their diploma. They maybe have a college offer on the table. If nothing else, they at least have. I mean, the the, the land of opportunity. They have the the opportunity right. to go out and make a living on their own. And and where down there, you know, they don't have the education because they've been studying baseball for the last ten years of their life. And now, you know, if they don't get this signing, then they're just what they're going to go try to find some menial labor job somewhere. Where I. It's such a discrepancy because you know it's, it. I don't. I, I get all distraught about it because it's it really is a is a totally different system, and it's it, it feels like a system of exploitation um, uh, that you know farming kids out of these third world countries. Um, it, it's 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 and it's something that there's no visibility of it. That, yeah, you know, and there's no
0: end in sight. That's the thing. Like it's it's not stopping anytime soon. Well, thanks right. for stopping me there because I could have just rambled on. So, <laughs> and Ben, we really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to talk about this. Uh, we'd love to have you on again, hopefully sooner than uh, than what almost two years since the last time we had you on. Um, we really appreciate. you for, Before the time. we cut you loose, yeah. we went, we went over a handful of guys that the Padres
1: just signed. Is there anybody else that we missed on that stood out to you that you uh, think Padres fans should keep an eye on?
2: From the from the class this year, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's uh you know, in in the Padres' case specifically, it's tough when you have a you know a four point six million dollar pool and you put right. four point two million dollars into uh, one pretty um, pretty special player. But like, I I think probably especially the like as, at, at this level of player, the pitchers are the guys who are probably going to where you're probably going to have somebody who pops from that group like there's a probably a whole whole bunch of arms they signed who are some degree of like 87 to 91 88 92 varying degrees of feel for an uh, off-speed pitch or strikes and one of these guys will end up coming out this summer or a couple years down the road throwing you know 96 or 99 and then i'll have to make a call and be like who who is who is this guy so um and i think, guess
1: we're hoping for the next luis patino yes,
0: there, right basically what i was gonna say yeah
2: yeah so it's yeah i mean every every team has this it's um uh, well so, obviously some more than others probably the astros especially but like you'll get their whole <laughs> world series rotation from a uh, couple years ago it's you know luis garcia and Uh, Christian Javier and Framber Valdez, and it's like these guys who were not big, like ten thousand dollar signings, guys they signed when they were nineteen years old, Um, and I I think with position players, it's it's harder to find that lower, super low bonus guy who turns into a really good uh, big leaguer right now. Uh, It it can be done, but I think it's a lot more common with pitchers. So um, Mm -hmm. I wish I could tell you like which one was the guy right now, but. Whoever it is will reveal himself. (laughs) Damn it. No crystal
0: ball. God dang it. No crystal ball. Well, once again, Ben, we really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, we'll definitely talk to you and reach out again in in the future.
2: Yeah, absolutely, guys. This was awesome. Thanks for having me on.